Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk all about Lupron and Orlissa. These are two GnRH drugs that are commonly prescribed as medical treatment for endometriosis. Before we further go into what the episode is about, we just want to give the drug names for Lupron and Orlissa because they're often referred to in research or online or in other countries by their drug name. The first one is Alagalix. Wow. That sounds like an elixir. <laughs> I know, it sounds fancy. An elixir for endometriosis. It's mystical, if only. The endo elixir. <laughs> well, it's more commonly known by the name Orlissa. Elagalix is the drug name and Orlissa is the brand name. Another common GnRH drug is luprolide acetate, which also luprolide sounds like a really beautiful name of a princess. <laughs> luprolide. Princess luprolide. <laughs> luprolide. <laughs> And this commonly goes by the brand names Lupron, Lupron Depot, Illigard, Prostap, or Viadur. Lupron has been the most heavily prescribed GnRH drug, and Orlissa is pretty new and it's only been on the market since August of 2018. And we have so much to say about these two drugs that we are going to split it into three episodes. Three episodes? Oh my gosh, it's an epic trilogy. So excited. Well, Brittany, there's just so much information to cover on these two drugs. I mean, we've done over 25 hours of research. I kind of feel like we're investigative reporters. Ooh, fun. Can I wear a trench coat? Can sure. I have one of those fedoras and like a magnifying glass? <laughs> Is it the 1940s? Can I be like in a noir film? And you can have a little mouse in your pocket. Oh, why? But I love it. <laughs> it's the sleuthing mouse. Oh. Well, what are we going to talk about for so many hours? I don't know. No, no, no. Of course I know. <laughs> I hope so. We what? wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is what we're going to talk about. Let's work our way backwards like detectives would. In part three, we're going to talk about the side effects of these two drugs. But not only that. But we're going to talk about the different reports and the adverse reactions that have been submitted to the FDA on Lupron and also the lawsuits. Oh, even more serious. <laughs> <laughs> In part two, ooh, I'm going to get my reporter voice on. In part two, we are going to talk about whether or not Lupron and Orlissa are actually effective for treating endo symptoms. We're going to go into the data from the research and the clinical trials, and we're going to talk about the hidden data, and then we're going to talk about the fraudulent data for Lupron, and then we're going to talk about what the independent 
data reporting said about whether or not Orlissa was effective. And then we're going to talk about... <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this list never ends. Well, now you know why it's three hours long. Oh, gosh. And then we're going to talk about whether or not clinical trial data can even be trusted nowadays. <gasps> wow. Well, that sounds very long, very involved, very serious, and also very important. Well, it is. And it's not going to feel long because that's why we split it into the epic trilogy on Lupron and Alyssa. We just think it's really important to know these facts because the more information that you have, the better you can weigh the potential benefits against the potential risks. So what are we going to talk about today in part one? My cat. Other than your cats. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I have two cats. <laughs> yeah, wow. Way to forget the second cat. <laughs> poor little baby. He's sick right now. He has diarrhea. Oh, he wants baby. to follow in his mommy's He's footsteps. like us. <laughs> Constant diarrhea. I want to be just like Meow Me. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's move on. <laughs> so today in part one. Rude. <laughs> we are going to talk about the quick facts around Lupron and Orlissa. The patient's typical experience with being prescribed Lupron, and my story of being in a near-menopausal state. (gasps) It was not good. (laughs) No. (laughs) We really wanted to do this episode because we see a lot of people on social media sharing their experience with Lupron and Erlissa, both good and bad. What we've seen consistently is people saying, I wish I had known XYZ before starting Lupron. I wish I had known XYZ before starting Orlissa. So our goal with this episode is just to provide the XYZ. (laughs) (laughs) Provide all the facts and all the research that we could get on these two drugs so that you can be informed when you make your own decision for your own body. There's a lot of information and research surrounding this topic. We want you to get the big picture. So in order to get the big picture, you need to have all the facts. We think it's really important because our bodies are our own and we are in control of our bodies to make the most informed choices that we can. Oftentimes, when we go to the doctor or when we see marketing material from drug companies, we're not getting all of the information. We're not presented with all the facts. We're not told how things will affect us, what makes up a drug what the background is with that drug. So we're not able to make the most informed choice that we can make because we don't know all the information, and that's not our fault. So we wanted to talk really heavily about the pros and cons of these drugs, specifically Lupron and Orlissa, because there's an endless amount of misinformation out there about these specifically. And it's unfortunate that the misinformation is not only out there, but also being perpetuated by doctors, other people in the medical field, websites, social media, and sometimes even well-meaning endo-advocates. I think we may all be able to pinpoint some time in our lives when we've been given a treatment or a medication by a doctor, but we felt like we didn't have a full grasp on what exactly was being prescribed to us. And this happens a lot when we are younger or when we're just trying to figure out how to deal with our symptoms or our diagnosis. And Amy has a really important story that she's going to share about being told misinformation and not being given the full picture and how that affected her life on a really deep level, especially relating to her health. My story doesn't involve Lupron or or Lissa, so I have not tried 
these drugs, but my story involves Depo-Provera. That is the brand name, and the drug name is medroxyprogesterone acetate. Wow. (laughs) I just really like long, complicated words. (laughs) Now, that doesn't sound beautiful. Now, Luprolai and Elagalix, which is Lupron or Lissa, the drug names. Now, they sound sound beautiful, but medroxyprogesterone acetate? Oh, good job. Thank you. (laughs) You've been practicing. Sounds like nail polish remover. It does. It's the acetate. That's literally what it is. It does not sound beautiful. (laughs) Depo-Provera or medroxyprogesterone acetate is also commonly prescribed to people who have endometriosis because it's a kind of birth control that's a shot that you get injected every three months, and it's progestin only. While it's not a GnRH drug, it works on the same GnRH pathways as the GnRH drugs. It's actually fascinating, and we're going to be explaining exactly how Lupron and Orlissa, as well as Depo, work in the next episode. So for a quick version explanation, with Depo, the ovaries don't get the signals that they need in order to produce estrogen and progesterone. So what it essentially does is put your body in what's called a near-menopausal state. Well, thank you, Brittany, for that quick explanation. And maybe you're wondering why we're going to tell a story about Depo-Provera when this episode is about Lupron and Orlissa. But this is because the experience that I had with Depo-Provera has many parallels to what happens to people when they're prescribed a GnRH drug. You know, the things that the doctor said to me, the marketing tactics, the side effects, the prolonged side effects after stopping the drug. They're very similar to the experience that many patients have when they go on a GnRH drug. Well, it's also important to note that this experience Because it was so negative and you had to learn so much from having it, it made you very passionate about knowing all of the facts about medication or about anything before you put it in your body. Ooh, Brittany called me passionate. I did. I feel like you're about to introduce me on a talk show. (laughs) And here's Amy. She's passionate about knowing what's in her drugs. She's caring, (laughs) well-educated, hilarious. Wow, do you do you like yourself or something? <laughs> it's good. You should like yourself. Be confident. You are all of those things. I'm a confident, strong woman. Good for you. Okay, confident, strong woman. Then tell your deep, insecure, sad, scary story. <laughs> At the time when I was prescribed this, I was 19 years old. I was not yet diagnosed with endometriosis. And in fact, this same doctor had done a laparoscopy on me looking for endometriosis. She had not, quote unquote, found endometriosis, which I realize now that she had just not been adequately trained to recognize all the subtle colors and forms of endometriosis, especially when it's at its early stages. At the time, I had been having chocolate cysts and debilitating menstrual pain chronic diarrhea, chronic fatigue, a lot of nausea. So my life was really a mess. I had been seeing different doctors and gynecologists, and the solution that they gave me at the time was to try different forms of birth control to try to lessen the symptoms around my period. At that point, I had already tried five different types of birth control pills, And I had had terrible reactions to all of them. And I had stopped taking them within like two weeks to a month after starting them because I just could not tolerate all the side effects that I had. So this doctor told me that she had the solution for me. 
and that I should take Depo-Provera. I had never heard of Depo-Provera at the time, but I told her that I was scared to take another kind of birth control because I had so many side effects with the other five types of birth controls. But the nice thing about those birth controls were is that they were pills, which meant that I could stop taking them at any time and hopefully be rid of the side effects. But this was a shot that was going to go in me for three months. And if I had really terrible side effects, I wouldn't be able to escape them because the shot would already be in me. I addressed these concerns with her at the appointment. And she told me flat out that there were no side effects to Depo-Provera. That sounds fishy. Are we on a dock? Are we on a wharf? A coastline somewhere? I smell the smell of rotting salmon. Does anyone else? Does anyone else? Ooh, get that. Is that what lies smell like? Putrid sniff. (laughs) That rank stench going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounded fishy to me. And I said, I don't understand how it could have no side effects because... All the other birth controls that I've tried have had side effects. And like all medications have side effects. Even if they're mild, every medication has a side effect. So she said, well, it is progestin only, so you won't have any side effects because there's no estrogen. That's what she told me. Okay, one, that's not true. Depo-Provera can have a lot of side effects. Two, unfortunately, I was very young at the time. I was scared. Because I didn't want to feel horrible all the time. I was scared because I had been sick for over two years at that point. And I had no idea what to do. And everything that I was trying was not working. And all the tests were coming up negative. Sounds like you were really desperate. I was. I desperately wanted to feel better. I desperately wanted what she said to be true. I desperately wanted it to be a solution. To be something that made me feel better that had no side effects. I didn't know to research. I was in the appointment alone. I was in college. I was going to these appointments in between classes by myself. I had no one there to advocate for me or to say, hey, smells like rotting fish in here all of a sudden. (laughs) And (laughs) this is funny. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom and let me think about it. So I went to the bathroom and guess what I saw in the bathroom? A toilet? Yes. And also, a sink? The paper towel machine had a poster on it that was showed Depo Provera and like a smiling woman. So, you mean there was propaganda in the bathroom? But I didn't know it was propaganda (laughs) because I was 19 Mm -hmm. and I was totally new to this medical world. And I was like, oh my God, people love Depo Provera. (laughs) I'm sure there are some people out there who love Depo Provera, but you are not one of them. So I went back in her office, and she was with another patient. As I waited for her, I noticed that there were pamphlets. There was a pen of Depo-Provera. There was another poster on the wall. It just felt like it was all around me. I was like, this is a sign that I should take Depo-Provera. I'm so sorry that I'm laughing. I feel in my heart so sad every time I think about this story. It breaks my heart. But you and I were very different 19-year-olds. I was very cynical and did not believe anything anyone said. (laughs) So I'm thinking about myself as a 19-year-old going into the bathroom, seeing a smiling woman and saying, who is happy about getting a shot in their arm? 
Like, I would not have seen that as a sign. <laughs> First of all, I got the shot in my butt cheek. Oh, no. And second of all, <laughs> That's I, worse. I know. I was so trusting and so Aww. naive and so, I was so. I was already jaded at 19. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Not till I got endometriosis, yeah, baby. <laughs> then the whole world shifted. <laughs> so you keep me positive and I keep you grounded. This is how it works. <laughs> I was so innocent. I had no idea about big pharma and all the shady practices that pharmaceutical companies have. I had no idea that doctors can get kickbacks for prescribing drugs. I had no idea about the propaganda. Like, I had no idea. I thought this woman genuinely wanted to help me. And honestly, I think that she did genuinely want to help me. Although what she said about no side effects was a blatant lie or she was so totally misinformed. I have no idea which one. But I do believe in my heart that she wanted to help me. But I should have thought about it. I should have went home. I should have researched about it. But you know what? It like wasn't a thing to go consult Google back then. It, it just, I didn't know. And so I said, yeah, let's, let's do this. I want to feel better. Give me the shot. Dun, dun, dun. And so the horror story began. Picture this. Scene one opens on Amy, face down in a dirty dorm toilet bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Shared with 40 other women. Yes. After repeatedly having morning sickness, after one week of starting Depo. Scene two opens on Amy, hunched over, sneaking through her mini fridge, raiding the freezer, pulling out every frozen article, all the frozen peas, all the frozen mixed vegetables, all the frozen popsicles, all the frozen ice cream, laying down on the floor. You see her from above. Covering her body in frozen products because she's having hot flashes so hot that she's like a microwave and she might as well just eat them afterwards because she's heated them all from frozen. Oh my God, that's exactly what I did. (laughs) (laughs) It works better than a microwave. The penultimate scene, scene three, Amy's mental health. Picture this. Amy trying to have a nice moment with her boyfriend, making out with him in the dark like teenagers do. But Amy was paranoid and she was afraid of the dark. And then suddenly she was afraid her boyfriend was going to kill her. End I, scene. <laughs> my boyfriend of two years at that point. Suddenly, all of a sudden. <laughs> I became afraid that he was going to murder me. That when paranoia is rough. <laughs> something happened to my mental health on Depro Provera. It's just like lost. Like I lost it. And it was very scary. And then our final scene as the curtain closes. Amy standing in the middle of a room alone, sobbing because she saw a commercial about shoes. And scene. (laughs) And that's Amy's story of the side effects of (laughs) Depo. So after that lovely melodrama that Brittany outlined for you, the story of my real life at 19 years old in my second year of college, thank you, I returned to the doctor after three months when it was time to get the next shot. And I told her that I would not be taking the shot again because of all the side effects that it caused me. And she told me that was my last option. I had exhausted all options and there was nothing more that could be done for me. Wow, it's heartbreaking to me that at 19 years old, a doctor said something like that to you because those words are so damaging when you hear from a medical professional that nothing more can be done for you. How are you expected to try to pick up those pieces and do anything for yourself? That's devastating. Those words are really damaging. 
when a doctor says there's nothing more that can be done for you or there's no options left? Because that information, at least for me in that case, it was not true. But because the doctor told me that, because I didn't know any better, because I wasn't the advocate that I am now, because I didn't know to do the research that I do now, I believe that. And so the next couple of years went by and I had all of my endo symptoms and I was miserable and I stopped advocating for myself and I stopped searching because I had seen at that point probably a dozen doctors who had all told me that they couldn't help me. And that doctor told me, hey, we've exhausted your last options. I think that doctors are in a position of authority and they need to be careful with using that kind of language because oftentimes there is so much more we can do if we've exhausted all the options that Western medicine can offer. We can turn to Eastern medicine. We can turn to acupuncture. We can turn to diet, to lifestyle change, to stress management, to yoga, to meditation, to exercise, to trying other alternate methods to manage our health and manage our pain and manage our symptoms. So if a doctor tells you that there are no more options, walk out and find another doctor. <laughs> Go find more options. Because they exist. So one thing I want to ask about is how your doctor reacted when you told her that you experienced side effects on a drug that she told you had no side effects. She totally dismissed them. And she told me to look on the bright side. Because at least my raging chronic diarrhea had gone away. And I was like, yeah, but at what cost? My pain has not improved. I feel 10 times worse because even though I don't have diarrhea, my morning sickness, my hot flashes are out of control. Something is going on with my mental health where I feel like people that I love want to hurt me. I mean, I basically exchange one symptom for like five new ones. I remember you telling me that once the depot stopped and was out of your system, it took you something like 10 months for you to get your period? Yes, it took a very long time for my period to come back, during which time I still was having all of those symptoms and my hair started falling out. Oh, wow. So no side effects. <laughs> which really bothered my roommates in college in the shower. I'm sure. <laughs> More than the morning sickness or as much as the morning sickness. And Amy and I do want to note that although her doctor, either through misinformation or through malice, said that there were no side effects, there's absolutely side effects to Depo-Provera, just like there's side effects to any kind of drug. In fact, Depo-Provera comes with a black box warning label, and this black box warning specifically refers to the fact that this drug can cause bone mineral density loss. The longer that a person uses Depo-Provera, the higher the chance that the bone mineral density loss will increase. It also might not be reversible, so this damage may be permanent. And the label specifically also notes that if this is used during adolescence or early adulthood... Wait, hold on. Like it was used on me when I was early 19? Early adulthood? Yes. Interesting. It specifically says on the label that during that age, they don't know if it's going to reduce the peak bone mass, which means it could increase the risk of bone fractures later in life. I think that's a pretty serious warning, and I think a lot of us are not being informed of those risks. 
when we are put on Depo-Provera, be it for endometriosis, be it because we want to use it as a birth control because we just don't want our periods to come, a lot of us are not being adequately informed. And I think because it's a shot we get in the doctor's office, like I never saw the the doctor sees the warning and takes (laughs) the medication out of the box and the box goes in the garbage. It's not like you pick it up from the pharmacy and you can read it for yourself. Exactly. I said, yes, I want to use Depo. And she was like, okay, pull down your pants a little. And then she shot it in my butt cheek. And then I went on my merry way. So I did not see the pamphlet. I did not see the FDA label. I did not see anything. And I feel like that's the way it's administered in a lot of doctor's offices. So this is a heavy story. I'm sure that many of you out there can also relate to it. And we'd love to spend a minute talking about what we can learn from this story. So, Amy, what did you learn from this experience? Research, research, research. Always everything that I'm going to put in my body and have a healthy level of skepticism with everything that the doctor tells me. The doctor could be amazing, could be super well-informed. But I want to take the information that I'm learning and I want to go corroborate if that information is correct or not. Because when I'm getting information, we don't know if it's the correct information. I mean, the same here with listening to this podcast. We're giving you a bunch of information. We could be totally wrong. Yeah, we want you to check us. (laughs) We want you to check for yourself. We're not. (laughs) Amy, I mean, I I spent 20 hours doing this. Okay, I mean, we might be, but I'm pretty sure, like, (laughs) I feel confident that. Our information is accurate. But we want you to go and we want this to fuel you to do more research because we have the right and we should, as humans, take it upon ourselves to make sure that we know everything that's going into our body, regardless of what the doctor says. Because at the end of the day, everybody has a different motivation and we have to look out for ourselves and only we have the motivation to look out for ourselves 100%. Amy and I have both had experiences that we've learned that research is really integral to a part of deciding our treatment. If you've taken these medications, are considering taking them, or are currently taking them, this is not an episode where we are judging you or shaming you for those decisions. Rather, we just want to help everybody to learn how to be informed and the research and information behind these medications. Some of the information we're going to talk about might be shocking or surprising. We're not trying to scare you. This is not fear-mongering. This is not scare tactics. We're not trying to shock you or disturb you. But this kind of information can bring up feelings, and those feelings can be upsetting or hurting. And we don't want to upset or hurt anybody, but we do want to provide the facts as they are and allow you to have informed consent when it comes to your treatment. We think it's important that with all of the facts, you can make the best decision for your health. And whatever you decide, if you decide to take Lupron or Orlissa GNRH drugs or not to take them, that's your decision. That is your choice. That is your body. And there is no shame in whatever you decide. And there are no judgments in whatever you decide because it's your decision. And we hope that these facts today can help you make the best informed decision that you can for your body and for your health. We're all doing the best that we can with what we have. And that's all you're required to do is the best that you can. Well, and that's what I told myself after I 
realized there were side effects with Depo-Provera. I realized that I had either been lied to or had just not been properly informed, but I felt that guilt and shame that I had not properly done my research. And I had a lot of self-judgment and a lot of self-criticism because I felt that I was in this situation because I had not, quote unquote, done my homework on the drug. And I had to really learn how to forgive myself and to view my situation with self-compassion and to realize, like Brittany said, that I did the best that I could at that time with what I knew to do. And so there was no reason to judge myself or feel shame. We want to go over some quick facts about GnRH drugs before we jump into the meat of the episode. Or the vegetable. Thank you. You're welcome, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) First, we want to point out, which I'm sure many of you are already aware, but it's always worth pointing out again, that no medicines treat endometriosis. GnRH drugs only treat the symptoms of endometriosis. This means that endo can still progress when you're on GnRH drugs. Endo can still grow when you're on GnRH drugs. Endo lesions in the body don't disappear or shrink when you're on GnRH drugs. And on that same line, these medicines cannot clear out or clean up endo that remains in the body after an ablation surgery. If during the surgery the doctor doesn't get all of the endo and expects to clean it up with a GnRH drug, unfortunately that doctor is misinformed. GnRH drugs like Lupron and Orlissa work to lower the estrogen in your body. So you might be wondering why endo can continue to grow when the estrogen is lowered. Well, I have a not-so-fun fact for you. Guess what endo can do? Cause you crippling pain? Yeah, I mean, yeah, other than that. Cause you debilitating digestive symptoms? I mean, yes, that too, but other than that. Crippling fatigue. I mean, yes, that too, but other than that. Endo belly. <laughs> yes, that too, but other than that. Migraines. <laughs> There's a thousand other things, but that's not the, any of the ones Okay, then give to. me what you're talking about. I don't know. Endo- God, I feel like I'm failing a pop <laughs> quiz right now. All right, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a hint. It's extra credit. All you have to do is repeat it after me. Okay, okay. you ready? Yep. Endo. Endo. Can. Can. Produce. Produce. Its own. Its own. Estrogen. What? You have to finish the sentence. Estrogen. (laughs) Oh, my estrogen. (laughs) Endo can actually produce its own estrogen. It's a sneaky jerk. Wow, that devil. Our next quick fact is that when using these drugs, you can have side effects and you can have permanent side effects, which means they're not reversible and that they don't go away when you stop taking the medication. Or listen, Lupron have reduced pain in some people. But also many people have had no reduction in their pain. And they've actually ended up feeling worse due to the long-term side effects of the medication. So our next quick fact is that you can only be on GnRH drugs for a short term of time. If these medicines do provide you with relief from your pain, the chances are quite high that the pain will return within weeks or a few months after stopping these medicines. Our last quick fact is that in spite what many misinformed doctors say, 
Lupron or Orlissa are not your only option. They're definitely an option, so that is an option that you can think about and research about and you can take if you decide that that is what's right for you, but it's not the only option. And I'm sure many of you listening, you're aware of excision surgery. That is the gold standard for care, and that is the treatment that actually removes the endometriosis from the body, so it actually treats the root cause, the disease, And by treating the disease, it helps the symptoms. Now, we understand that a lot of people don't have access to excision surgery right now and because of location, because of financial reasons. And we hope that everyone listening will someday have access to excision. But we also understand that this may not be the reality. So like Amy said, if you can't have excision, GnRH drugs aren't the only option on the table. Some other things you can do to manage your endo symptoms, besides these drugs or excision, are pelvic floor therapy, diet and lifestyle change, acupuncture, Chinese herbs, CBD, even birth control or something like the Mirena IUD, and also painkillers. Some of these options have minimal, if no, side effects to them, but can actually reap some long-lasting and have great benefit on your full-body health. Let's talk about the typical way that an endometriosis patient is offered a GnRH drug. Specifically, this is how I was offered Lupron a couple of years ago. So the doctor was indeed a nice woman, but she was very misinformed about endometriosis, as unfortunately many gynecologists are. So let's call her Dr. M for Dr. Misinformed. Dr. M heard my symptoms. At that time, I was undiagnosed with endometriosis, and she said that she suspected that I had endometriosis. After I explained about my pain, she told me that if I did not want to have a hysterectomy to treat my endometriosis, that I could go on Lupron to treat my endometriosis. Okay, wait, wait, back up. So your first option of treatment was a hysterectomy. Was a hysterectomy. According to her. That, unfortunately, is just incredibly misinformed. A hysterectomy does not treat endometriosis. The recommendation of a hysterectomy for the treatment is a myth, and it's based on an outdated theory of retrograde menstruation, which is an incorrect theory. Then the doctor told me that if I went on Lupron and the medicine worked, then I had endometriosis. And she said that they were changing the criteria for diagnosis so that if patients responded to the medicine, they would be considered as diagnosed with endo. I'm sorry, say what? (laughs) That's Absolutely incorrect. Say what? If the medicine works, then you have endo. No. 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 I don't think so. No. (laughs) I think I'm going to go back to the fact that the gold standard of diagnosis, which is not, if the medication works, you have it. The gold standard of diagnosis is a laparoscopy, getting a biopsy, and having a pathology report. 
not if you respond to medication must mean you have it or literally any other thing that this medication may affect. Doesn't make any sense. They're definitely not changing the criteria for diagnosing endometriosis. So that information was completely misinformed. Honestly, I'm not surprised in the least that she thought that because the makers of Lupron has been pushing for this drug to be used to diagnose endo without performing laparoscopic surgery. So in fact, the makers of Lupron some years ago funded a study on 95 people with pelvic pain between periods. So these people were either given Lupron or a placebo shot. The idea was that if their pelvic pain improved, then Lupron could be used as an indicator for endometriosis and therefore as a diagnostic tool to diagnose endometriosis. So what's funny... Hold on. I'm ready. I'm ready for a laugh. Cue laughter. (laughs) I can't laugh until I know what's funny. (laughs) Okay, only I know right now. (laughs) Let me share. So what's funny (laughs) was that... (laughs) I'm ready. I want to know. I want to be in on the joke. (laughs) I'm losing it. So what's funny, absolutely hilarious, ironic, in fact, is that the study didn't even show those conclusions that Lupron could be used as a diagnostic tool. (laughs) Okay. Yes, more people with endometriosis had pain relief on Lupron than on the placebo. Okay, so 61% with endometriosis had relief on Lupron, while 34% had pain relief on the placebo. But when they did the laparoscopy to see which patients had endometriosis, 78% taking Lupron were found to have endo. And in the placebo group, now you remember they didn't have as much pain relief on the placebo as they had with Lupron, but 87% had endometriosis. So almost the same amount of people, 78% and 87%, had endometriosis, both on Lupron and on the placebo. You know what's really curious to me is that out of that group who were taking Lupron and had pain relief, when they did the laparoscopy to see whether or not they had endo, 18% of them didn't even have endo. 18%. Yeah, that's a pretty big chunk of people. That's like almost one in five. Yes. (laughs) Didn't. So they had pain relief on Lupron. But no endometriosis. Hmm. Fascinating. Do you want to know something else fascinating? Oh, yeah. Then when looking at a group of people that didn't have pain relief, they found they did have endo. Actually, 14% of them had endo. Hold on. They took Lupron. They had no pain relief. But they did have endo. But at laparoscopy, they had endo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So how does Lupron diagnose endometriosis again? Uh, Looks like it doesn't. Mm, Interesting. It's so... Interesting. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to me. It does not make any sense that you could empirically say that using Lupron is a benefit in diagnosing endometriosis. Because right here from these numbers, neither taking it nor the pain relief predicted endometriosis. So what do you think the author concluded from all of that? I know the author concluded (laughs) that empiric use of Lupron was beneficial in diagnosing endo. 
Brittany, what does empiric use mean? Empiric actually means that when they start a treatment, it's based on an educated guess instead of having all the information. So like in this case, they have a hunch that the patient has endo, but not a confirmed diagnosis. Okay, so pretty sure you could have a hunch the patient has endo (laughs) due to the patient's symptoms, Mm -hmm. which is probably how they chose the patients for the study, which is why 87% of the placebo and 78% of the people taking Lupron all had endo. Like so many people in that study had endometriosis. The fact that both groups had such a high percentage of endometriosis probably had more to do with the fact of who they chose to be in the study rather than their drug being able to tell who had endo and who didn't. I didn't need to have pain relief on Lupron to tell me that I had endo. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the debilitating periods, the knives coming out of my butt during every bowel movement, the crippling fatigue, the brain fog, the pain during sex, I'm pretty sure... The symptoms let me know I had endo. Not, oh, you have all these symptoms, but we're really going to confirm it. If you take Lupron, then you have reduced pain relief. Then we'll be sure. No. Well, the studies didn't even show that that was the case, so no. No. (laughs) Cue laughter. (laughs) Science. (laughs) So why on earth do the doctors think that it's a diagnostic tool, even if it wasn't shown to be effective in the study? Oh, naive, innocent Brittany. Okay, I know the answer. You don't have to shame me for it. <laughs> Do you know it's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. Oh. <laughs> okay, Brittany. Well, hold on. Let me shrug my shoulders for a minute. Okay, hold on. Okay, shrug them. I don't know. That is what the author concluded. So these studies also concluded that surgery wasn't necessary to diagnose endo and that people with the right symptoms could be directly treated with Lupron without needing surgery. There are several quote-unquote studies out there talking about how surgery is not necessary to diagnose endo, which, as we know, it is. All that I know is that independent of those studies, It is a well-known fact that data conclusions published by drug companies don't always match the raw data. Published articles can have data that has been manipulated or cherry-picked or analyzed in a way that the published info shows the drug in a more favorable light or shows the drug with the bias of what the drug company wants you to think about this drug. I feel like that utterly defeats the purpose of having it as a scientific study. Because in science, you're supposed to reach a conclusion with no bias just based on what the data shows you. And that's so disappointing that even science can be manipulated this way and can be used in some ways for bad. It is a well-known fact that drug companies underwrite educational events. Drug companies showcase themselves at speaking events. Drug companies pay doctors to write articles promoting their products and hyping their drug. I'm part of a couple different social media advocacy groups for endometriosis, and I have seen a couple of different healthcare professionals talking about continuing medical education credits that are written by or sponsored by AbbVie, which is the company that makes Lupron and Erlissa. 
So what AbbVie is doing with these education credits is that they are subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, oftentimes not so subtly, what they're doing is they're hyping their drug. And basically, they're promoting their drug as the standard for endocare, which we know is not true. Because we all know that excision is the gold standard. Gold. Gold. Like the chains around my neck Oh, right you now. do not own any <laughs> And the chains. chains around my little mouse sleuth that is in my pockets. <laughs> I thought he was in my pocket. Well, he crawled over to my pocket. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't like you. I'm deeply offended. <laughs> we should have fed him. Come back, Mr. Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> He's obsessed with cheese like me, so it came over. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Mr. Detective Mouse has a question. He wants to know what education credits are. <laughs> well, mouse log homes. <laughs> so basically, doctors have to do a certain number of medical education credits a year. This is ongoing education for the doctors to keep up their skills or to further develop their skills. In many states, these are required for doctors to keep their license, or oftentimes hospitals require these for the doctor to be able to continue seeing patients. And these medical education credits, they can cost a lot of money to go get these credits. And then I've heard of AbV sponsoring medical education credits for doctors for free. How wonderful for them to provide free marketing. I mean, free education for doctors out of the goodness of their hearts and out of the joys of being an educator. Wow, what a dream. Thank you, Abvi. Well, I mean, think about it. With all of these kinds of practices, like these continuing medical education credits being underwritten by Abvi, and all the rise of the quote-unquote literature rising out of nowhere, all about the wonders of these drugs, or Lissa, Lupron, Golden Lights, the North Star, Sparkles. <laughs> Glitter Singing angels. I mean, honestly, it's no wonder that it's just no wonder to me that gynecologists remain in the dark ages on endometriosis and how to diagnose it and how to treat it and full of myths and misconceptions. Like little mousey mouse in my pocket, not your pocket, my pocket. <laughs> wow. Little Sherlock Mouselock. Mouselock Holmes. Get his name right. Come back here, Mouselock. Okay, I'll give him back to you. Ow, he bit my finger. Good, because you misnamed him. <laughs> Little Mouselock Holmes is not surprised that there's so much misinformation out there on endometriosis because it's being promoted to the doctors. And I think that brings us to a really important point that we've said before, which is the majority of gynecologists are just not equipped with the knowledge or the skills or the experience necessary to diagnose, treat, or even deal with endo. Endometriosis should be in the hands of a specialist. A typical OBGYN is busy. I mean, they're busy delivering babies. They're busy running their obstetrics practice. And we don't blame the doctors. Of course, they want to believe this, and they don't see reason not to trust the drug company. Ultimately, a doctor is a doctor because they care about treating patients and making their lives better. So wouldn't you also jump at the chance to utilize a drug that avoided surgery for you and for your patient? So we get why they believe it. 
However, it can be detrimental because now you have people who are not specialized in endometriosis believing that they can diagnose and treat this disease. And what that does is when you're not in the hands of an expert, it can really delay your chances of getting proper treatment for endometriosis with a doctor who is actually knowledgeable in endo. I honestly, I find it really concerning to think that the doctor that I saw really thought that they were changing their criteria for the diagnosis of endometriosis to be if you take the GnRH drugs and you have less pain, then you have endometriosis. That feels really alarming to me. And I think that would be a really major setback for the endo community. Well, and on a bigger scale as well, it's also concerning that anybody could make a visit to their gynecologist and have severe cramps or period pain and be given Lupron or Lissa, which are very serious medicines. This is with no laparoscopy surgery, just you have pain. Here, take a very serious drug. If it works, then we, quote, know what you have, unquote. It's just, it's just so, it's so baffling to me. It's like, we don't know if you have endometriosis, but take this really serious drug as if it was candy, as if you were in the doctor's office and it was Halloween and they just had like a pumpkin hollowed out with a bunch of M&Ms and Skittles in it and a little bit of Lupron too. Oh gosh. You know, here's a Twizzler. Here's a Snickers. Here's a little bit of Lupron. <laughs> Sounds Here, like a terrible party. Put your arm out. I'll give a shot to you. And then you can eat some Kit Kat while you're walking out. Hmm, we don't know if you have this disease, but it doesn't matter. Take the drug anyway. If, if you respond, then we'll find out. That sounds a little bit like Lupron roulette. Like, okay, just spin the roulette wheel and, okay, oh, shot pill. Okay, you get shot. So take the shot. We're going to spin it again to see what happens. Tell us in a month how you feel. It's roulette. Which side effects do you get? Do you get relief from your pain? Do you have anything happen to you? Nobody knows, but we'll try it with all of them because anything can help anyone. And then have a Kit Kat on your way out. <laughs> and hope for no flare. <laughs> so then the doctor handed me a very beautiful, shiny, colorful pamphlet on Lupron and was like, here, think about it. If you want it, call the office. Otherwise, think about a hysterectomy. Those are your only two options. Okay, bye, see ya. Well, she didn't say the bye, see ya part, but it felt like it. Our 15 minutes is over. Please leave. <laughs> She's like, up, oh, we're at minute 12. All right, next patient. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Don't close it on the way out. The next patient's right behind you. I remember that pamphlet. You came out of the doctor and came to my office and were like, oh, look at this. This is a, a treatment option that the doctor offered for me. And it was glossy and beautiful and there were people smiling everywhere like smiling like in those tampon commercials where i never believe their smiles because who smiles when they put in a tampon well i do no no no. that's a grimace of pain that's not oh, smiling <laughs> i confuse smile and frown all the time it gets very confusing it's like women in tampon commercials women eating salads who are all these women smiling at things that are painful i don't understand <laughs> smiling while getting a pap smear I love my annual. I love when my cervix is touched. Great. <laughs> Dilate it, please. Nobody does that. <laughs> but this pamphlet, in its beautiful glossy pages, talked about 
how many had less period pain after being on it, less pelvic pain. They had less pain after sex after taking it. It felt so hopeful and promising when I saw that pamphlet. My eyes got all shiny the way that Scrooge gets when he sees a dollar bill. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, I too can have less pelvic pain, less pain with sex, less menstrual pain. If the pamphlet could talk, it would have said it. Just like that. In that voice, (laughs) in a field with smiling women. (laughs) A meadow. All the turning with their skirts around them, <laughs> petals falling from the sky. You can see it. All the sunflowers reaching up to the sun, singing, mm-hmm. Lupron, reduce period pain, reduce pain with sex. Well, it was Lupron. A... <laughs> the bone loss might be permanent. No, that was hidden in the back. But your doctor didn't tell you about that, did she? <laughs> no, Dr. Misinformed did not have any kind of discussion with me about what could be the permanent side effects of taking Lupron. This is a pretty important conversation to have. Everything is all shiny and beautiful and promising, and it's not highlighting the fact that you can have permanent side effects on these drugs. I think it's important to remember, and this is not with conspiracy theory or snark, that these pamphlets are sales tactics. It's marketing. It is pure marketing. And we, in this consumer world that we live in, we are used to marketing. We are being bombarded with it every day. But when it's being given to us from a figure of authority like a doctor or about a medication, we are much more susceptible to just believing it face value because we think it would be more truthful than it is. But it's still just marketing. It's still just selling a drug to us. And this happens very often in the U.S. If you're not from the U.S., you may not have the same experience with medications. We have commercials for them on our TV. We're supposed to go to our doctor to find the medication. Are you interested in taking Orlissa? Talk to your doctor today. Speak up. I'm sorry, I have been speaking up for 16 (laughs) years and everyone's been like, sorry, your pain is not real. But if you say the magic buzzword, then they will actually listen to you and give you the drug. Now, we know some of you listening are from New Zealand. I actually had a lot of friends who were from New Zealand because there were a lot of Kiwis in Japan when I lived in Japan for four years. So I had several friends who were from New Zealand. But did you know that the U.S. and New Zealand are the only two countries that allow direct-to-consumer advertising of pharmaceuticals? So if you are not from the U.S. or New Zealand, then you may not know. Now, in New Zealand, I don't know because I haven't seen TV there. But I can tell you that here in the U.S. on TV, they have continuous drug marketing. The commercials for, ooh, this cancer drug, ooh, this drug for my Crohn's disease, ooh, this drug for my depression, ooh, this drug for my psoriasis. By the way, it's almost always the same drug. You would be amazed at what one drug can treat everything. Be recycled into. Apparently. (laughs) And now, of course, they have the new commercials for Orlissa. You can go to your doctor and you can tell your doctor that you have endometriosis pain. And we're going to make you feel like you're strong for doing it. And you can speak up about it and you can get Orlissa for treatment of moderate to severe endometriosis pain. Apart from the actual Orlissa commercials, AbbVie, which is the company that makes Orlissa, is running promotional awareness campaigns about endometriosis. In these awareness commercials, 
They don't actually mention Orlissa, but they rather try to create an awareness about endo and empower people to speak to their doctor about their symptoms, which is a good thing. But this is actually a common marketing practice, and it's run by the drug companies, and it's been being done for decades. What? I know. This is very common. Wow. So there's a new drug. This happens to be for endometriosis. And when it comes out, there's a commercial educating you about the drug for endometriosis. And there's an awareness campaign educating you about speaking up about your endometriosis. But it doesn't actually reference the drug. So you put two and two together. Oh my gosh, I need to speak to my doctor about endometriosis. But I saw a commercial about something for endometriosis. So I'm going to go talk to my doctor about receiving that drug for endometriosis. That's how it works. Sneaky, sneaky. Two plus two equals Orlissa. Yes. (laughs) And any other drug that they've done this tactic with. Apparently it's a lot because we were researching this. It came up a lot that this is a tried and true marketing practice for big pharma for decades. Yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. (laughs) So some of the language that's used in these awareness campaigns can be really irksome and particularly the one created for Orlissa. So Amy's going to speak a little bit about that language and, and how we felt once both of us had seen these commercials on TV. So in the commercials, the woman is with the doctor and the doctor's like, so how are your periods? She's like, well, I guess they're okay. And then her conscious or her inner self gets over her shoulder and says, what are you talking about? Why don't you speak up? Why don't you tell him? That last time you had your period, you were doubled over in pain. Speak up. And then she realizes all her self-confidence. Oh, actually, doctor. And she tells the doctor about her symptoms. And in the other awareness commercial, it's basically the same concept. She's already diagnosed, and the doctor says, How's your endo pain? She's like, oh, it's okay. It's fine. Some days are better than others. And then her inner self is like, what do you mean? What about the stabbing knives? What about this? What about that? So then she visibly sits up tall. She was kind of like, you know, slouched and meek. Yeah, you know, like all like, oh, I have no confidence. And then she like visibly straightens up and she says, actually, And then she tells about her symptoms with her inner self in the background of her talking about her symptoms, making these gestures and like putting her hands in the air, being like, finally, hallelujah, finally. And then the campaign instructs us, if we're in the same situation, to ask our doctors about a treatment plan that might be right for us. I've seen these commercials and it's just really patronizing to say to a group of people, who have been speaking up their whole lives, screaming since out since they were teenagers, that if only they just yelled a little louder, only if their inner self was just a little more confident, then they too could get a drug to solve all their problems. I think that's incredibly demeaning and incredibly reductive to all of the people that have been speaking up for so long about their experience and their pain. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. How long did it take me to get diagnosed with endometriosis? I think it's the name of this podcast. Mm, 16 years. Mm -hmm. Six seconds in the doctor's office if you just spoke up. That's, yeah. God, what was that? (laughs) I guess I just wasn't speaking up all of this time. Surprise, surprise. You weren't saying the right word. The magic word was Orlissa. (laughs) Hello, doctor. I think I have moderate to severe endometriosis pain and I need Orlissa. Oh my goodness, you might have endometriosis. Thank God that you spoke up about it. Because if you had said, I'm having debilitating, crippling periods, and it feels like I'm pooping out a knife with my bowel movements. That's not what's on the pamphlet. So I didn't know to diagnose you and give you this, Orlissa. <laughs> Clearly that kind of words, it sounds a little extreme. Maybe you should go see a psychiatrist for your anxiety. Next. Okay, so although I personally... I'm a little bit insulted by the commercials for awareness promoted by AbbVie. I also think that it is wonderful that awareness campaigns are running on TV about endometriosis because this means that endo is getting more visibility and we need more visibility. We need more people to know that painful periods or pain during sex or pelvic pain, is not normal. These awareness campaigns can be really positive because this means that people who may not have known that their period and pelvic pain and pain with sex wasn't normal may actually speak up, just like the commercial is saying, speak up. They may actually go to their doctor and speak up about this because now they're aware they could actually be an underlying condition. And it is phenomenal that we can get that kind of visibility. What's nice, too, is that friends of these people, coworkers, loved ones, they're also seeing these commercials. And so maybe they can recognize these symptoms in their partner, in their friend. And they can tell that person to go speak up about what's happening to them. And honestly, that is so wonderful. So even though I made a little bit of fun of the campaign and I in a way, feel a little bit frustrated and insulted because it's so opposite the experience that I had about speaking up and that so many of us in the community have had where we've been screaming to be heard and we haven't been heard. I also want to thank AbV for making these commercials to drive awareness. So in the commercials that AbV put together about speaking up, it does not mention Orlissa, but what it does is it directs you to their website called speakendo.com. And I went to their website, and I'll say it is, it's a nicely put-together website. It looks nice, you know, and I like that it's telling us to advocate for ourselves. It has a guide so that you can talk about pelvic pain with your doctor if you don't know what words to say to the doctor. It explains about endometriosis, and then it features a lot of stories from people with endometriosis. It has videos and tips and blog posts about other people living with endo. And I think that if you didn't know that you had endo and you saw this commercial on TV and it's like it was speaking to you about your symptoms, you're like, oh my God, I have pelvic pain. I have painful periods. And you went to this website and you saw all of this information that like if that was me, I would feel empowered to be able to go to my doctor and to talk about what was going on with my health. So There was a lot of good information on the website, 
but I did also see some misinformation about endometriosis on their website, unfortunately. I think it's also important to point out that this website is sponsored and created by a pharmaceutical company. And like any company, there are ulterior motives and reasons for making a website like this. While it's a really great thing that there's a highly visible platform for self-advocacy, we do have to remember that at its heart, a company doesn't do something for nothing, and it is a marketing campaign. Ultimately, their goal is to push more people toward utilizing their medication. We really love that this could be truly helping people to figure out what's been going on with them or to help another loved one to speak with a doctor and find a diagnosis. But what ultimately frustrates us is that it's, it's hiding the fact that its goal is to sell you something. It's hiding its fact that there's an ulterior motive. And drug companies and pharmaceutical companies also hide these motives from doctors. So they're not being transparent with doctors either. The doctors get these shiny pamphlets and they get this information about these medications that is swayed one way and has a view that only focuses on what the company wants you to know. So these doctors end up misinformed and they end up perpetuating that misinformation, not because of any malice or spite, but because they can only go based off of the information they're given, which is practically the same information we're given. Ultimately, we're marketed to, and so are doctors. When these drug companies are talking to these doctors, they're telling them that this is a wonderful opportunity for if somebody comes to you and says, I need to speak up about what's going on in my body, I'm having severe pain, that they can just give them this medication and it will help them to treat endometriosis. Talking to them, or as we previously mentioned, quote-unquote, educating them. <laughs> I'm sure they think that's a great opportunity as a doctor. And it is an option to take these GenRH drugs, but it's also an option to refer the patient to an endometriosis specialist or an excision specialist. There's other options rather than just this drug. But if the doctor thinks that they are competent and can utilize this drug, to diagnose and treat the patient, then they're not going to do that. Really, the point is to highlight that these pamphlets and these commercials, they are all marketing. They are all sales like any other product on the face of the planet. They are a sales tactic. And it's very important when you're buying any product to not just be glazed over by the beauty that they're showing you, which is not the reality of anything. But the pamphlet is so glossy, but everyone looks happy. They're all smiling. They're all got their moderate to severe endometriosis pain treated. I know, but have you ever seen a commercial for a hospital and somehow in the commercial, all the people in the hospital are smiling? But like, is anybody in a hospital ever smiling except on some rare occasions? Reality is not the same as the pamphlet or the commercial. Oh, that so. probably explains why my depot experience was much different than what the doctor promised me. Yes, and hmm. much different from the picture of the smiling woman on the paper towel dispenser. But all of this is to say that skepticism is healthy because we should all look at things with a healthy skepticism. And when we're trying to be sold a product, which every medication is still a product that's trying to be sold to us, we should exercise the same level of skepticism as we would with anything else that we choose to invest our money in. 
It all sounds a little like we're, you know, do-do-do-do conspiracy <laughs> theorists. But, like, this is, this is accessible information that anybody can learn about by doing some research. The reach, the far, far reach of Big Pharma is becoming more and more known as people are having more equal access to information. So we're not making this up. We're not like, drugs are bad. We do not believe that. We just have to be aware that Big Pharma is still a big marketing company and everybody's company wants to make money. All right. So Lupron and Arlissa have worked for some people, but it hasn't worked for many others. If you decide to take one of these drugs, we hope that it will work for you. If you are taking them, we want nothing more for them than providing you relief. You deserve relief from your symptoms. We all do. So if that's the option that you choose, we really, really hope that they work for you. We're going to devote the entire part two of this series to exploring the topic about how effective these drugs actually are. Based on the data from the clinical trials of Orlissa and the raw data of Lupron and the independent analysis data of both of these. So, Amy, I have a zany question for you. Ask me. Do you think using Orlissa is like having surgery for endo? That's my question. Hmm. Not really at all. Nothing like it. But why do you ask? Well, according to the Twitter sphere, you know, the all-knowing Twitterverse, a doctor tweeted that Orlissa was hashtag surgery in a pill. I'm speechless. I knew you would be. <laughs> <laughs> so while he may think there's surgery in a pill, I think you and I probably don't. So it would be useful to compare surgery and Orlissa side by side. Don't you think? Brittany, tell me what does excision surgery do to endometriosis? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> excision surgery removes endo at the root. It removes it from the body. The rate that it comes back after excision surgery with an expert is very low. The rate of recurrence is 7 to 10% in some centers. Okay. Now tell me, Brittany. What does Orlissa do? We're going to find out now if Orlissa is like surgery, which Brittany said removes endometriosis from the body with a very low rate of recurrence. Ooh. Does Orlissa do that? Does Orlissa remove endometriosis from the body? Uh, no. It does not. While Orlissa can help relieve some symptoms associated with endometriosis, it does not do anything to the endometriosis actually inside of the body. So you're telling me that Orlissa is hashtag nothing like surgery. Yeah, it's not hashtag surgery in a pill. Hashtag it couldn't be farther from the truth. Hashtag another example of misinformation. Hashtag I'm done. I'm over it. We know it's not right. Next. So we don't know why this doctor tweeted that. We cannot speculate really on why he tweeted that because we don't know his intentions behind that tweet. We don't know if he believes that information or we don't know why he tweeted that. What's important and what we want to focus on right now is the fact that it was tweeted, which means that that information, that very damaging, false misinformation 
is out there. In the Twitter sphere, on the internet, living its false myth life. And the problem with something being on such a visible platform like Twitter is that anybody can see it. Anybody, like any of us searching for answers, searching for help, we see a trusted medical professional and we think, oh, okay, I definitely have to look into this. While it can relieve symptoms for some people, it's just not hashtag surgery in a pill. It's just flat out wrong. We don't know why this doctor tweeted that information, but it made us think of a really important point that we wanted to bring up now independent of this specific doctor and independent of that exact tweet. Basically, we wanted to bring up the point that doctors can be paid to be promotional speakers for a drug. As we mentioned before, they can be paid to write favorable articles promoting the drug. They can be paid to promote awareness about the disease in magazines, in social media, or on TV. Awareness is great. And we've said that before and truly believe that Awareness for endo is really important. Vital. But when that awareness is a result of or connected with the pharmaceutical companies, it can often be a sneaky, roundabout way of actually leading the consumer to their drug. So the purpose isn't awareness. The purpose is marketing their drug. We wanted to mention two websites that might be useful to you. They're for doctors that are in the United States. And one is called Open Payments Data, and one is called Dollars for Docs. And so you can look these up on the internet. And basically, via either one of these websites, you can see if a doctor in the United States has received money for drugs or for medical devices. You type in their name, and it shows you how much money they received, for what drug, and why. And it has categories like promotional speaker, or food and beverage, or traveling and lodging, or education, or gift, or consulting. The categories are kind of vague. I mean, they're, you know, a lot can fit under a category of promotional speaker or consulting. And it doesn't say exactly what, like if it says consulting, it's like we don't know exactly like what kind of consulting. Or if it says promotional speaker, like we don't know what they were speaking on or in what context or like did they go on TV? Did they write an article on social media? Were they in a magazine? Like did they speak to another group of doctors? We, it does not specify that. But at least we can look up a doctor and we can see how much they got paid over the course of a year. For what drug? So if you see that your doctor has, you know, raked in, I think the average that a gynecologist gets paid for a drug is like something like seven, eight hundred dollars. So if you go on there and you see you get a doctor's being paid in the thousands, so that could be a red flag to you that this doctor's motives may or may not be colored by the money they're receiving from the pharmaceutical company. Well, it's actually super useful that you can look up these doctors and see any patterns in terms of the drugs that they're being paid for their relationship. Unfortunately, what you can't look up are some of the other ways that this could be happening, like with an organization or a certain party that could receive the money from this company and from Big Pharma in exchange for the quote-unquote educating 
or quote-unquote advocating. This can include hospitals, medical conferences, celebrity advocates, journalists, important medical organizations, and there's just so many more ways that this can happen. All of these things are influencing our standard of care. And they also influence the information that's actually being put out on endo. Because of the lack of transparency of the interests behind this information, it's hard to know what to trust and what not to trust. You know what? I was so happy just this week, which is in January 2020, in case most likely people are listening in the future. I was so happy to see an article come out that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, so the FDA here in the United States, we have an office of prescription drug promotion, which I didn't know that we had, but apparently we do. And the Office of Prescription Drug Promotion of the FDA, they said that they're going to do a study on marketing by Instagram influencers. Wow, finally. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Finally. We all know. Finally, now they do, apparently. The study will look at the effects that a disclosure of payment has on the consumer. So as Brittany was just saying, you know, many times people and organizations don't disclose that they've been paid to talk about a drug, i.e. promote the drug, and or they're being paid and they're, they don't disclose that. And so the FDA is going to look at what effects a person knowing that this influencer has been paid. So what effect does that have on the patient's reaction? They're going to look at if the influencer discloses directly, like, for example, putting this post as a paid ad. Or if they do it indirectly, like, for example, if they put hashtag sponsored, or if they don't put any disclosure at all that they're getting paid to post about this drug. I can't wait to see the results of this study because I feel like any of us on Instagram see a lot of this information, sometimes with affiliate promotions, but not everybody says when they're sponsored by something or paid by a company to hawk their wares. And it can be hard to tell whether something is a genuine, I like this product or I'm paid to tell you that I like this product and so should you. Well, you know what I saw was really interesting is that the study is going to look at a post of an endometriosis product. Whoa! So like a fictitious endometriosis product. But still, they picked us. I know! (laughs) So what they're going to do is they're going to have a popular Instagram influencer do the posting. So they're going to choose someone that has over 500,000 followers. So newsflash, it's not going to be us. (laughs) (laughs) Someone with a decent but not massive following. Okay. And someone who's already posted on Endo to their community. And then they're going to have that influencer post about a fictitious product. And then the FDA is going to look at people's attitudes toward the product. For example, what the people in the study perceive as the benefits and the risks of the product based on the post, whether it leads them to want to ask their doctor about the drug, etc. Ooh, I hope I, I hope I actually see that post about I the fictitious know. endo product. <laughs> how, how interesting would it be to see the post and then like, Read the comments and see how people are acting like, this is a study. This is fascinating. But don't out it. <laughs> Let it happen. Why did this appear in journalism if it's like a... I know, right? It seems like they're <laughs> skewing at FDA. <laughs> what are you doing? But who knows? But it's exciting that they're going to finally do this. And also, then they chose to do something within the endometriosis community. We'll be represented. Finally. <laughs> 
They're also doing another study, which will surround a fake acne product. And it's actually going to be in print advertising. And the really interesting thing about this one is that they're going to see how the attitudes compare depending on who endorses the product, like a celebrity or a doctor or a fellow patient. I think that's really interesting. That's going to be fascinating because when I feel like when it's endorsed by a doctor, it's like, ooh, this is so credible because this doctor is endorsing this product. And same with a celebrity. I mean, it sounds so glamorous. I want to be like the celebrity. And for a fellow patient, you feel like they can relate to you. So, of course, you'd want something similar. You see that yourselves in them. So it's pretty useful that marketing uses this and measuring the effects is going to be really interesting. I think the initiative of the FDA to to do this study, it's just a push in the right direction towards transparency around the sneaky and the subtle ways that big pharma markets drugs and plants the seeds about these drugs and their potential benefits in our consciousness. This has been In 16 Years, reporting on the breaking story. It's not really breaking, but it's breaking to us. The big news story. The Lupron and Orlissa news story. We're going to take a pause right now because it's a very long and involved story. But we're going to pick it up just next week. We're going to be back on the trail in 16 years following the story. Two reporters sitting in a little box with microphones. That's not where we do our research. We sit at normal tables, but we (laughs) report on it here. (laughs) In part two, we're going to discuss if the medicines are as effective as they say. In part three, we're going to discuss the side effects of both Lupron and Orlissa and the safety concerns. Ooh. How GnRH drugs work in the body, very tied into the side effects and the safety concerns. The use of these drugs in teenagers. Should they take them? Is it safe? Find out next week. So congratulations. You've made it to the end of this epically long and involved episode. Oh, my God. And we made it, too. (laughs) I can't believe we made it. (laughs) But, hey, it was a lot of work that went into finding this information, searching down those rabbit holes, pulling open, you know, like looking for Alice, finding the rabbit. Oh, the Queen of Hearts run. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we wanted to make sure that we could give you as full of a view as possible. Now, it may sound like we're a little anti-pharmaceutical companies and like, ooh, conspiracy, big pharma. (laughs) The In 16 Years files. (laughs) But the reason we wanted to talk about pharmaceutical companies, big pharma, is because it's important to know all of the information surrounding something. After having negative experiences with medications, Amy and I have really put forth an effort and have a passion for putting forth an effort for making sure we know what we're putting in our bodies and where it comes from. And because we find that important, we also thought many of you may also find that important. So it's not to be some kind of conspiracy or treating it as if it's some big giant out to get us. It's more that these things are factual and we wanted to include them so that you have all of the data you need to make the decision that's best for you. So before we pick up this investigative reporting, In the next episode, we want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we will be back next week for 
the second installment. Oh God, which Ooh. I hope I just I hope is not going to be so long. <laughs> I, I'm so tired right now. Thank you guys so, for buckling in with my us. My eyes are glazed over. Like I can't even see right now. I had to like. You I know, don't know how I'm going to drive home. Probably going to have to sleep at Brittany's house right. until tomorrow. It's all right. <laughs> If you want to reach out to us, we're on Instagram at in16yearsofendo, and we are on the website in16years.com, and you can go there if you want to connect with us via email. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>